Hey everybody, we are on week number five in our series on spiritual disciplines, and I'm really thankful that you're here to participate in this with us today. If you're new or this terminology is unfamiliar to you, spiritual disciplines are things that we can intentionally do to help spur on our growth in Christ. They're not attitudes, it's not a state of mind or a metaphor. They're things that we can intentionally set our minds and our hands to do. They're things that we can intentionally do to live for Christ beyond Sunday morning. And I would just remind you that that's the word the Lord gave our church a few weeks ago at the start of the year, is those words, beyond Sunday morning. In other words, God says, I love you, I'm with you, I'm for you, I've been showing up and doing some cool things in your midst, and now in this new season, this new year, if you would just seek me, if you would press in for me even more, more than just coming to a service on a Sunday morning, I have a plan for you, and, and I will just work uh, my wonder and my glory and my power in your midst. So we're seeking the Lord beyond Sunday morning in this season. And spiritual disciplines are really helpful for that. They're things that we do every single day or can do every single day. And I'm really excited because I've heard some accounts from some of you guys over the past few weeks about how the Lord has been speaking to you or He's caused the light bulb to go on for you. You're getting it. The Lord is working in your lives and He's working in our church. So I'm fired up about that. And I'm really excited because today I get to talk to you about the Bible. Somebody says, don't you guys talk about the Bible every single time you're up here? That is true. Good observation. And thank you for the compliment. We do. But today it's all about the Bible. We're talking about reading the Bible as a spiritual discipline. This one's a biggie. They're all big. They're all important. But this one is pretty profound. Here's what you need to know about reading the Bible as a spiritual discipline. So much growth. So much growth can come from us humbling ourselves and soaking in God's Word. Sometimes it's disproportional almost what we get out of it versus what goes into it. It's amazing. But here's the problem. Sometimes we can read the Bible incorrectly. And what I mean by that is we can read it pridefully. Uh, that's where we read the scriptures, not that they're over us and they're in authority over us and they're going to speak truth to us. But we look at them like we're over them and we're going to tell the Bible how it is and we're not going to listen to its viewpoint or its instructions. This is what I think I'm going to impose and project my own thoughts onto it. Well, that's no way to read the Bible. Sometimes we read the Bible religiously, right? That's where we do it. But we do it just to do it, just to check off the box. There, did it, check, check, check. Yeah, but where's the heart? Where's the heart? Are you meeting with Jesus in it? Sometimes we also read the Bible, not at all. And that's incorrect. Um, this is where days, weeks, months, years go by and the Bible sits on the shelf and collects dust. We don't crack it open. We don't read it. And therefore, we don't get to experience the wonder and the power and the glory that God has in it for us. And all of these things, if we're being perfectly honest, we've been there. We've been there. And what these are, they're a missed opportunity for us. It's not just, oh, I didn't read my Bible. Oh, I kind of read it pridefully. It's a missed opportunity. But I want to encourage you today, during this, this time that we're talking about this together, and next week we're talking about the Bible as well, my hope is that you will be encouraged to start thinking, wow, this Bible reading thing is really something I ought to be doing. Better yet, my hope and my prayer is that the Lord will start to stir in you and do something and start changing something in you so that you'll want to read the Bible. And if you hear that and say, well, that's probably unlikely. Here's what I would encourage you in. That was my story. 
I've been a Christian for 16 years. And for most of those years, honestly, I didn't give a rip about reading the Bible. Just didn't do it. I heard it in church on Sunday. That was enough for me. So I thought. But over time, the Lord started to do a work in my heart. He started to change something in my heart. And now I'm not saying I'm a world-renowned scholar and I've memorized the whole thing, but I love the Bible. It's not just, oh, now I read it. I love the Bible. I love to read the Bible. I love to study the Bible. I love to have my Bible open and it going. And so I'm saying that if that can happen in my life, it can happen in your life too. And so that's my prayer and my hope and my goal that this would be a catalyst uh, to, to start seeing that in our lives. Now, we're going to break this up today into two main sections. We're going to ask two big questions. Number one is, what is the Bible? What is the Bible? And number two is... How does reading the Bible help me? Reading the Bible is a help. It's going to benefit us. And we're going to talk about some practical ways uh, that that happens. But let's carve out this first one first. What is the Bible? That's a, a big question. Lots of people have lots of different opinions and ideas about it. I want us to just to lay down some truth and some foundational clarity on this. What is the Bible? Sometimes, if we're being honest, as believers we can sort of lose our sense of wonder over what the Bible actually is. We have it. It's there. It's sitting right there. But, I don't know. I don't read it. Sometimes we take it for granted. We're susceptible to this kind of behavior as humans. For instance, in my life, and I'm not saying I should feel this way, but in my life, I tend to take the reversing falls for granted. I don't really have a huge sense of wonder over the reversing falls. It's a cool, natural phenomenon. The river goes this way, but sometimes it goes that way. That's pretty neat. You don't see that every day. But for me, like I've lived here pretty much my whole life. I drive right by them on my way to work every day. I just don't really think about them. I don't really pay much attention to them. But people who don't live around here, that's a different story. I worked for one summer at the Delta Hotel when I was a teenager, and I couldn't tell you how many times people would come in from out of town, and the first thing they'd say, where are the reversing falls? Where are they? Got to see them right now. I got my car rented, the car, I'm burning gas out there, got to go right now. I'm not even taking my luggage to my room till I've seen it. All right, simmer. So you give them the directions, you send them off, later on they come back, and you could set your watch to this, they'd come back, hey, how were the reversing falls? And they'd say, well, they were pretty cool. I'd say, here it goes. But, you know, I was kind of expecting that, you know, it would be like a waterfall, you know, going up, like up the side of the cliff. And I'd say to myself, you thought the water was going to go up the side of the cliff? Didn't read the Google review before they came. But anyway, but they said, but it's still really cool. Once I learned what it actually is, it's really cool. There's a sense of awe and wonder about it. And I don't want us to lose or neglect a sense of wonder about the Bible because it is incredible, it is powerful, it is life-changing. So here we go. I'm going to give you five things that the Bible is. Number one, the Bible is revelation from God. It's revelation from God. In the world and over the course of history, there's been a lot of speculation about God. Here's what I think. Here's this popular idea or opinion or viewpoint about God. The Bible is not another one of those. Rather than it being some idea that originates from man about God, the Bible is revelation that comes from God to us. 
It's totally different. God has spoken. God has said it. And he, He's given it to us as a gift. A revelation revealing what He wants us to know. Now, of course, the Bible was written down and recorded by people. It was done over hundreds of years, different continents, different languages, different political and societal circumstances. But you need to understand the same God inspired the whole Bible to be written. And it's inspired, that's the word we use, it was inspired by the Holy Spirit. He, he prompted human authors along in writing it. So even though humans wrote it down, God is the author. And it's been carefully recorded. There are thousands of reliable ancient manuscripts that have been preserved. It's been thoroughly researched. It's been diligently translated. It's been widely distributed. I want you to understand the miraculous in this. We have received this book, the Bible, as revelation from God, something that He has spoken. It's come to us. We fully believe this as a people, that we fully believe the Bible is the fully inspired Word of God. And since God said it, by the way, it's perfect. There's not flaws and faults in it or mistakes in it or whatever. This is God's perfect Word to us, and we hang everything on it. It's our final authority in matters of doctrine and life and principle. It's our only source, by the way. I'm not saying we can never open another book or anything like that, but we don't have the Bible and many other books to sort of look to as our final authority. It's the Scriptures. That's it. We hang everything on it. And you have to understand... There's so much to know. There's so much for us to know about God, about the purpose of our lives, about the function of our lives. There's so much to know, but God, in giving us His Word, reveals to us exactly what He wants us to know. It's amazing. It's incredible. So when we're dealing with the Scriptures, it's not some mere book. These are the words and the Word of God. It's a revelation from God. Number two, the Bible is one story. It's one story. Did you know, we're going to go geographical here for a second. Did you know you can get from New Brunswick, Canada, like our New Brunswick, to Miami, Florida, the Miami, Florida, by using only one road? One road gets you from A to B. It's the Interstate 95. The I-95 begins just outside of Woodstock, New Brunswick, our New Brunswick, and it goes over 3,000 kilometers through 15 states, all kinds of twists and turns and junctions and trunk routes, but it goes all the way to Miami, Florida. It's one continuous route. All the way down, you'll see 95 signs on the side of the road. The Bible, similarly, is one continuous route. And it's got all kinds of twists and turns and different elements to it. There's things like history and prophecy and law and wisdom and gospels, etc. But there's a common thread that runs through the whole thing. So when we're dealing with the scriptures, we're not talking about some collection of random, isolated stories. It's one story that points in one direction. Which leads us to number three today. The Bible is all about Jesus. The Bible is all about Jesus. I said it's one story that points in one direction. That direction is ultimately a person. And His name is Jesus Christ. The whole Bible, and I get so excited about this, the whole Bible either points ahead to Jesus, or prophesies about Jesus, or prepares us for Jesus, or paves the way for Jesus, or shows us the life and the person and the work of Jesus, or shows us life in the wake of who He is and what He's done. It's all about Jesus. Again, there are different elements and things in the Bible 
But it all points to Him. There are things like prophecies, places, say, in the Old Testament that point forward, that talk about the coming of the Messiah, the Savior, the one who's to save us from our sins, to make things new. That's Jesus. There are things in the Scriptures called types. And we've talked about types before. These are things that show up, say, in the Old Testament, that point forward to or are fulfilled in Jesus. So I'll give you one example. The priesthood in the Old Testament is a type of Christ. The priesthood was instituted by God, so the priests would stand in the gap between the sinful people and the holy God, and they would make sacrifices to make atonement to deal with people's sin. Well, Jesus comes along, and the Bible refers to Him as our great high priest. Jesus comes along, and He stands in the gap between us and God. Jesus comes along, and He makes a sacrifice for sins. Jesus comes along, and through His death on the cross, makes atonement for, deals with our sin. He fulfills the priesthood. That's a type of Christ. There are also things in the Bible called Christophanies. Somebody at home today say Christophanies. That's a fancy word for saying Jesus shows up and makes a cameo appearance. So Jesus was born as a human on the earth, say, at this time. But He's God eternal. He's always existed. And there are times before His birth here, He's shown up in the Old Testament here and here and here. Probably the most famous Christophany is in the book of Daniel, where the three friends, it's Rakshak and Benny, they're thrown in the fiery furnace, and they look in. And they say, didn't we throw three people into the furnace? Why then is there a fourth? And he looks like the Son of Man. That's Jesus. Even consider things like the fact that the Bible split into the Old and New Testament. Well, where does that split occur? At Jesus. Consider the fact that there's an Old Covenant and a New Covenant in Scripture. Well, what brings about that change in covenants? It's Jesus and I could go on and on, but you have to understand, it all hinges on Him. Jesus is the central figure. And listen, this is why I'm telling you all this. Since the Bible is about Jesus, who is it therefore not about? Us. The Bible is not about you. The Bible is not about me. Let's be clear, the Bible is for us. God doesn't need the Scriptures. God knows what's in them. God knows what He said. He's doing just fine. We need the Scriptures. They're for, uh, they're for us, but they're not about us. And since the Bible is not about us, the Bible's intention, listen, is not to put you at the center and say, oh, if you bring God along you know, as some accessory to your life, here's how He'll really further your agenda and promote your cause and make your life better. That's not the Bible's intention. The Bible's intention is to put Jesus at the center and says, here's what happens when you align yourself with Jesus, when you hitch your wagon to Jesus, when you put Jesus at the center, when you die to yourself and live for Him, here's what your life is going to be like. Here's what's going to become of you. That is the intention of the Bible. It's all about Jesus. Number four, then, the Bible is alive. It's alive. A lot of people have this perspective of Scripture, like it's this old, ancient book written by a bunch of dead old guys, and it's irrelevant for today. It was written for a time in the past, and they didn't even have the internet back then, so why would I listen to them? Eh. That is the wrong perspective, my friends. The Bible is a living document. It is a living word. Matter of fact, it says in Hebrews 4.12, you've heard this verse, it says, The Word of God is living and active. It's sharper than any two-edged sword. It pierces to the division of soul and spirit and joints and marrow, and it discerns the thoughts and intentions of the heart. 
In other words, God does something to this day through the words on the page. It's not just we pick up this museum artifact of a book and read it. No, God meets with us supernaturally as we read His Word. The reality is the Bible has been changing lives and changing hearts and changing legacies and changing attitudes and changing mindsets and changing destinies for years and years and years and years. It's a miracle. Matter of fact, God says of His Word in Isaiah chapter 55, He said, It goes forth from my mouth, says God, and it shall not return to me empty, but it shall, shall accomplish that which I purpose and shall succeed in the thing for which I sent it. In other words, the Bible is doing stuff in the world. The Bible is accomplishing things. How many of you can testify to the fact that you were in God's Word and it changed something in your life? It changed something in your heart? I definitely can. How does that happen? Well, it's miraculous because the Bible is alive. Again, it's not a museum artifact that we, that we just you know, look at for, oh, you know, the good old days and this is a cool book. This is a living document. It's a living Word and it changes lives. So we have to think of it as such. The last one I'll share, number five, the Bible is a word of hope and a word of judgment. Simultaneously, it's both of those things. Let me explain that. On the one hand, it is a word of hope for those who believe in and belong to Jesus. The Bible is very clear about you come to Jesus, you let Jesus deal with your sin, you let Jesus save you from your sin, you're saved. You're made new. You're a new creation. You can walk in relationship with God. That's the life that you were literally created and born to live. That's possible when you believe in Jesus. That's the reality when you believe in Jesus. And as you go through this life, you're not doing it alone. You're walking with Him. The Bible's very clear. We do this life walking with Jesus by the power of the Holy Spirit. Perhaps best of all, when this life is over, the Bible makes clear to us what's going to become of us. And yeah, there's some details that we don't really know in total fullness, but the gist is here. We're going to go and be with the Lord. We're going to see Him face to face. We're going to know Him even as we are known. We're going to be with Him in a place where moth and rust can't destroy, where sickness and disease and pain and suffering and wickedness and evil and chaos is no more. We will be in new, glorified, resurrected bodies that are not subject to decay or death. That's our reality. That will be our reality forever with Jesus. Is that a word of hope today or what? Are you looking forward to that day or what? Scripture shows us all of that. Simultaneously, though, Scripture is a word of judgment. It makes clear that for those who do not believe in and belong to Jesus, for those who do not accept Jesus as their Lord and Savior, for those who don't get their sins dealt with in Him, the Bible makes very clear that in that state, everyone in that state is unrighteous before God. Anyone in that state is not saved and is not safe. Anyone in that state is in the path of the wrath of God. And no matter what you do, if you don't know Jesus, if you try hard, you work hard, you're, you try to be moral, religious, good person, whatever, it's never going to be enough to save you. And someday you will draw your last breath on this earth and you will go to be judged. You will stand before God and you will be cast out. You will be condemned. You will be sent to hell forever. That's a hard word. 
But the Bible is very clear on that. Now, just for clarity, God doesn't want anyone to choose this path. His word says he wants all to, to come to repentance and come to knowledge of the truth. God doesn't want this for anybody. But the Bible simply does this. It presents two options. You can have this or you can have this. And God lets us choose. He lets us choose. So I guess the question today is, do you know Jesus? Do you believe in Jesus? Do you belong to Jesus? If so, you can have confidence that this is the path you're on. The Bible is a word of hope. You are in the path of hope. If you don't know Jesus, I, I just need you to know today, this is the track you're on. You don't have to be on it, though. If you come to Jesus, that will change. And if you want to know more about that, please send us a message. We'd love to talk to you about that. Okay. So in all of that, that stuff about what the Bible is, just a concession that I have to make. That's just a vain scratch at the surface. That's like an eyelet look of a glimpse of what the Bible actually is. There is so much more we could say. One sermon can't do it. A hundred sermons can't do it. The Bible is so vast. There are things like we didn't even talk about. The history in the Bible or the prophecies, many of which have been fulfilled, that are made in the Bible. We haven't even talked about the implications for science or archaeology that the Bible brings up. It's so vast. It's so incredible. I can't describe the magnitude of the Scriptures to you. You know why? It's because of who wrote it and who it's about. I just can't get there. There's so much of God to, to know and to learn and to grow in and to experience. And the cool thing about it is that God gives us His Word so we can dive in and start to learn and start to experience these glories and these realities. So that's a little bit of a glimpse about what the Bible is. Let's turn over to our second question, which is this. How does reading the Bible help me? I need you to know that reading the Bible is a benefit. Just like when we take in physical food, you don't just eat it. There are things that happen behind the scenes and things that are produced in us, like it gives us strength and energy, it sustains us. Scripture is much the same. You're not just reading words on a page. You are feeding yourself. You are taking in fuel. And how I want to illustrate some of the benefits of reading the Scriptures uh, is in this way. Turn in your Bible to 2 Timothy chapter 3. 2 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16 is where we're going to camp out for a few minutes. And it says this, All Scripture is breathed out by God, and it is profitable for teaching, for reproof, for correction, and for training in righteousness, that the man of God or the woman of God may be complete, equipped for every good work. Let's pick our way through that today. It starts out by saying, All Scripture, how much Scripture? All Scripture is breathed out by God. We've talked about that. It's revelation from God. God has spoken it. He's uttered it. It's His Word. It's a perfect Word. And it is profitable. Like, let's not, let's not get confused about what that means. It means it's going to profit us and benefit us when we soak in it. How many of you want to profit in your life? Obviously, you do. Scripture is profitable. For teaching reproof, correction, and training in righteousness. I love how Pastor Rick Warren sums up those four things. He says it this way, teaching shows us the path that God wants us to take. 
Reproof shows us how we've gotten off the path. Correction shows us how to get back on the path. And training in righteousness shows us how to stay on the path. Isn't that cool? I love that. So let's go through each of those. Scripture is profitable for teaching. It teaches us things. It shows us the path that God desires us to take. So being revelation from God, the Bible reveals who God is. He is eternal. He is holy. He is perfect. He is Trinitarian, Father, Son, Spirit. He is creator. He is kind. He is loving. He is just. He is good. Scripture teaches this to us. Being revelation from God, Scripture also reveals who we are. It reveals that we're created beings, created by God and for God. It reveals to us that we, our role is to be God's image bearers to the rest of creation. It reveals that we're meant to function and operate in relationship with God. Scripture teaches us these things. Being revelation from God, Scripture reveals God's instructions and commandments and practices for right living in His sight. The Bible teaches us all of that. Listen, we put such a low precedence on learning. If you were anything like me, it's kind of like when you were in school, well, this is dumb. This is a waste of time. I don't want to be sitting here. Learning is the worst. And then when you get out of school, it's there. I don't need to learn anymore. I just suffered through school to get through all the learning, and I don't have to learn anymore. How foolish is that? How foolish. We all have so much to learn and grow and be taught and understand and experience. And my point is, if we don't learn it, we'll never experience it. We'll never grow in it. So let's be a people of learning, is what I'm saying. The Bible helps us learn about God. The Bible helps us learn about ourselves. The Bible helps us learn what the purpose of our life is. And I'll be very honest with you, that alone makes me want to read it. That alone is enough for me. The Bible teaches us. It also is profitable for reproof. In other words, showing us where we've gotten off the path. That word reproof simply means rebuke or show disapproval of. So if you did something dumb, I would say, that wasn't a very good idea. I don't really approve of that which you did. That's, that's what reproof is. Again, we've, we've identified that Scripture reveals the path. It teaches us about God and the ways of God. But inevitably, what happens to us when we read God's Word, if we're reading it humbly and honestly, we start to realize how far short we fall from that standard that God has set. And you say, well, that doesn't sound like something I would want to do. I feel bad enough already. Why do I want to feel worse? Why do I want to, why do I want to be more aware of my shortcomings? That doesn't sound very loving of God to like subject me to that. Well, it's actually very loving. Because God is a Father, and He's revealed to us His expectations. He teaches us those. And He doesn't reveal those to us and reveal to us how far short we fall and hopelessly short we fall from that. He doesn't do that so that we have to be condemned. He does it so that we can be made right. Here's the thing. If you don't know that you're in the wrong, if you don't know that you're doing something wrong, in this case, chronically and consistently, we're just wrong. We're off the path. Listen, if we don't know that, we don't know that we need to be fixed. And nothing gets done about it. We just continue on in the path we're in. That's not helpful because we're lost. We're off the path, friends, every single one of us. 
The Bible is useful for teaching and reproof. And it says also correction. That's the third one. Correction is showing us how to get back on the path. Now again, if we just left it at the first two, teaching and reproof, it would be not the best ending for us. Amen? Here's what God needs. Here's what God expects. Here's what God wants from us. And here's where we're at. We've blown it. Well, here's the thing. If that was where it stopped, we would despair because we would realize, I need help and I can't help myself. What do I do? Here's the deal. God helps us. God offers correction. God comes to our rescue. And I will be very clear when I say this today. The only way back on the path, the only correction that is possible for us, the only way back onto the path is through faith in Jesus Christ. It's not, there are many ways to heaven. There are many ways to have a relationship with God. There are many truths, many paths. There's one. And here it is. We've gotten off the path. We have rebelled against God. We have treated Him with contempt. We have sinned against Him. We have distanced, distanced ourselves from Him. We've separated ourselves from Him. And there's no coming back. We're like deep in the woods, people. We're deep. We're gone. But God looks at us in that state and He has compassion for us. Because He loves us. Why do you say? Because He's God. Because He's amazing. He looks at us in our broken, sinful, rebellious, lost state and He does something about it. He comes to help us. Here's the story. He sends Jesus Christ, His only Son. Jesus comes from heaven, from glory to the earth, to a broken place, to a mess. Jesus lives a perfect, sinless life, the life we have surely not lived. Jesus goes to the cross and He does so as our substitute. Jesus dies on the cross to pay for our sins. The, the, the reasons that we got you know, way off the path in the first place. Jesus takes on the full weight of God's wrath for sin on the cross. Jesus died to pay for our sin, for your sin, for my sin. It didn't end there, though. Jesus rose triumphantly and victoriously from the grave, and He proved that Satan and sin and death and the grave do not have the final word. They are not more powerful than God, but Jesus is greater. Jesus wins. Jesus has the final say. Jesus is victorious. So now when we hitch our wagon to Jesus, when we believe that He is the Christ, the Son of the living God, when we believe that He died in our place for our sins, when we repent and confess our sin to Him, when we turn to Him for salvation, we receive that. We are saved. We are saved through Jesus Christ. And when we're saved, once we're saved, we're made right with God, and we can start living, walking in relationship with Him all the days of our life, and look forward to that eternal hope we already talked about. That is the help that God offers. Are you glad today, as a believer, that God has helped you in that way? God lovingly offers that correction to us in His Word. The Bible makes very clear that this is the correction God offers. Yet sometimes we hate being corrected. I don't know what it is. It's pride. It's this thought of, I want to be right. I want to be independent. I want to be self-sufficient. Nobody's going to help me. No one's going to tell me I'm wrong. Men especially hate this. Men don't want to be told they're wrong. You, you say something, and well, actually, 
Men hate that. Why? Guys, correction is a good thing. We've gotten off the path. To, to refuse correction is just to be blind to our own reality. But to accept correction is to say, yeah, right, okay, this is going to be good for me. It's going to help me move forward in a better way where I'm not wrong. Correction is good. We also receive correction once we're saved, once we're believers too, right? True or false. As Christians, we still stumble. We still go off the path sometimes. Obviously, we do. We pick up God's Word and we read it, and it offers correction. It shows us, actually, this is the better way. Here's how you get back onto the path. Here's how it will go better for you. What a gift correction is from God, showing us how to get back on the path. And finally, uh, 2 Timothy 3.16 says, Scripture is profitable for training in righteousness, showing us how to stay on the path. I want you to understand today, God wants you to stay on the path. God doesn't want a life for you where you're on at one minute and then you're off, you're swerving, you're out of control, you're in the ditch, you're back on, you're off the cliff. That's not the life God wants for us. He wants to walk steadfastly with Him on the path. Now, that word righteousness, let's just deal with that for a second. There's a couple of aspects to that word righteousness. One of them is dealing with our ongoing state and status before God. The big picture. I call this positional righteousness. Your position before God. Now, answer me this. Is our position, in our, on our own strength, in and of ourselves, is our position before God righteous or unrighteous? It's unrighteous. So it says in Romans 3, not one is righteous, not even one. None of us can stand before God and say, we've done enough, we're good enough, we're sinless enough. None of us. We are all unrighteous in and of ourselves. The only way to be made righteous is through Jesus, the righteous one. It's not like 2 Timothy 3.16 is not saying, oh, if you just try harder and follow the letter of the law more closely, you'll be righteous. No, we're made righteous through faith in Jesus Christ. Remember I said He lived righteously. He lived a life without sin. And when we get saved, His righteousness gets credited, given, gifted to us. So even though by all rights... We're unrighteous. When we hitch our wagon to Jesus, God says, I'm declaring that you're righteous because of Jesus. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that awesome? That's called grace. We don't deserve that. But that is your reality. If you're a Christian, your position before God is righteous because of Jesus. Now, that kind of righteousness, that positional righteousness, is not what 2 Timothy 3.16 is talking about, though. It's not talking about the position, but the practice of righteousness. Our ongoing righteousness in the way we live as believers is what this is getting at. So once we're saved, we are given the Holy Spirit to help us live righteously. And here's what I want you to know. Scripture is useful in helping us to grow to live righteously, a.k.a. staying on the path that God wants us to live. Scripture shows us how to avoid falling into sin and how to avoid falling into old ways and how to avoid being lethargic and lazy and stale and dull in our faith. Scripture helps us to stay sharp in our faith. Scripture is full of good life principles that benefit us in our walk with Christ when we put them into practice. Scripture says that God's Word is a lamp to our feet and a light to our path. That's Psalm 119, 105. Let me just hit on that one. When do you need a lamp and a light? When you're in darkness. How many of you have ever been in darkness? 
Maybe you're in darkness today, right now. Well, what this says is that God's Word lights up the way before us. It doesn't magically make our darkness disappear and, and our problems go away, but it says, hey, I'm going to light up the way before your feet so that you can see where you're going, so you can see how to walk with God through this. God's Word does that for us. And it also helps us fend off attacks from the enemy. Right? The enemy wants to get us off the path, wants to get us to not live righteously. He comes along with both barrels, right? And he gives it to us. You remember in Matthew chapter 4, he'd given it to Jesus. He's given him the big temptations. And Jesus fends him off by quoting Scripture. And what happens when Jesus quotes Scripture to Satan is that Satan flees from him. He flees from him. He's got no answer for it. Sidebar, this is true in your life as well. This is true in my life. I can testify to the fact that when Satan comes, when Satan comes after me and tempts me or throws a word of condemnation and shame and guilt at me, I have found that memorizing scripture and quoting scripture can be super helpful. There are times he'll be, he'll be like I say, tempting me to just go down whatever road, you know, the desires of the flesh, whatever it is, and I can remember. Romans 8, 6, to set the mind on the flesh is death, but to set the mind on the spirit is life and peace. Satan's got no answer for it. Off he goes. Uh, Satan will come along, like I said, and throw just shade at me and condemnation and a word of guilt or shame. And I say, ah, there is therefore now no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus, Romans 8, 1. And he's got nothing to say to it. And he flees. That's helpful. That helps us stay on the path and not get dragged down some other road. Listen to me. Scripture ultimately helps us to walk with Jesus and to stay walking with Jesus. It's useful for training in righteousness. And again, that word training, notice the intentionality there. That's putting in the work. That's doing it consistently. On purpose, diligently. Remember we said a few weeks ago, these are called spiritual disciplines for a reason. We've got to put in the work to these. Okay, let's finish up this verse. All Scripture is breathed out by God. It's profitable for teaching, reproof, correction, and training in righteousness, so that the man or woman of God may be complete. In other words, when we take a healthy view of God's Word and we make a healthy application of it to our lives, we start to find this completeness. Now, what completeness here doesn't mean is some state of perfection or sinlessness or nothing bad ever happens to me on this side of heaven. No, this is talking about just kind of a general state of completeness. In other words, being complete enough, being solid enough, being confident enough, being motivated enough, being steadfast enough in the faith so that you're able to stand by God's grace and by God's strength. It means, this completeness means you're not consistently being dragged down the road of sin. It means you're not constantly in fear. It means you're not constantly in the fetal position or doubting or questioning or what's going on. You're confident and able to stand. Consistent reading of Scripture helps us grow more and more into this completeness and this steadfastness. Super important. And the verse finishes by saying, the man of God may be complete and equipped for every good work. So I love this. Not only are we solid and just able to stand and, and we'll just stand here and do nothing. The fact that we're equipped for every good work means that we'll be solid enough in our faith that we'll actually be able to do something in God's will. We'll be able to do God's work and carry out God's mission and do His will with greater effectiveness and confidence. 
Now we're getting somewhere, right? Now we're talking about living the life. Now we're talking about beyond Sunday morning, friends. This is more than just showing up for church on Sunday. So let me sum all that up. Here's how the Bible helps us. Consistently reading the Scriptures teaches us the path that God wants us to take. It shows us how we've wandered off that path. It shows us how to get back on the path. And it shows us how to stay on the path. How to walk with Jesus in a relationship that affects every part of our lives. And as we walk with Jesus more and more, we will grow in our completeness. Which leads to more effectiveness in doing the good works that God has for us to do. Friends, that is living. That is the life. So let's, let's wrap this up today. There's an obvious takeaway that we can get out of all this. And it's this. I want you to read your Bible. I want you to read your Bible. I was looking up some statistics about Bible reading among, among Christians, and I found an interesting one that said that only 32% of Protestant Christians read their Bible every day. 32%. By the way, that's an American stat, and it's a few years old. It could very well be different. My guess is if it's different, it's probably less. But let's just pretend for a second that's an accurate statistic. 32% of believers in Christ read their Bible every day, read their Bible consistently. One out of three. In other words, two-thirds of Christians aren't consistently in the Scriptures. And you know what that is? That's tragic. We have an incredible gift in the Scriptures, and we don't take advantage of it. It sits there. We don't read it, and therefore we don't grow. We don't benefit from it. We don't come to experience God more and more. Let me... Flip that around and say it a positive way. We have an incredible gift in the Scriptures and an incredible opportunity to do something about it immediately. Isn't that awesome? This isn't something we've got to grow into first. Like, you have a Bible. If you have a hard copy or a phone, you have a Bible. If for some reason you can't get either of those... Let us know. We would be thrilled to put the Bible in your hands. Thrilled, because it will change your life. And I promise you that over time, as you consistently humble yourself and read God's Word, it will lead to growth. I promise you. I promise you that God will show up and do something in your life, in your heart, in your mind. I promise you that your walk will change and grow in Him. That's how powerful the Bible is. That's how profound and incredible and wonderful and glorious the Scriptures are. So friends, let's start reading it. Let's keep reading it. And let's tap into this powerful life that Jesus has for us beyond Sunday morning. Here's what we're going to do. Today is the last day of January. Therefore, tomorrow is the first day of February. February has 28 days this year. The book of Matthew has 28 chapters. We as a church are going to read the book of Matthew together for the month of February. One chapter a day for the whole month. And if you immediately hear that and go, oh, I don't know, don't think I'm going to do that, don't want to, I don't have time, too busy, it's, it's frightening, whatever, listen to me, you can do this. You can do this. I promise you, you can do this. And we're going to do it together. 
And the thing that's neat about this is that, you know, if you miss a day, well, it's easy to jump back in. Just read two tomorrow. One chapter a day is super manageable, I promise you. So here's my ask. Well, A, please do it. Please, please do it. Please read a chapter of Matthew every day for the, book, for the month of February. Here's my part B of that. I would invite and encourage and direct you to our closed Facebook group. The Harbor has a closed Facebook group. Uh, and in there, it's stuff that only members of the group can see. I want you to write in there. I want you to, when you learn something or you have a question or something cool happens or God you know, speaks something or lays something on your heart, I want you to write it in there and share it with your brothers and sisters in Christ. There are no dumb questions. There are no wrong things to say. Put it out there. We'll talk about it together. Please do that. It's going to be good for us. And if I'm risking just cluttering up our Facebook group for the month of February, then so be it. So are you in? Are you good? We're going to do that together. It's going to be awesome. And I'm out. Thanks, guys, for your time today. I love you. I appreciate you. Thanks a lot.